are now tuned into the Lunch Break Podcast, where two sales pros go to tell their stories. This is episode 50 of the Lunch Break Podcast and the season finale of season two for the Lunch Break Podcast. And as we get things started for this episode, I just need to give a huge shout out to every single person that came on the show for season two. Just really, I'm always incredibly thankful, amazed, grateful for the conversations that I end up having with all of these wonderful sales professionals. And I'm going to go right through the list of everybody that's come on the show for season two, in case you're listening to episode 50, and you need to go backwards. Look, first of all, let's start it off. Huge thanks to Martin MacArthur, John Selig, Nick Carroll, Jeff Wortman, Sherry Henry, Christopher Fago, Brandon Bornanson, John Clemson, Matthew Gardner, Morgan J. Ingram, Vincent Matano, Sarah Drake, Natalie Buresh, Kevin Dorsey, Matt McNamara, Seth Thompson, Ashley Early, Keith Cordero, Jackson Liu, Hillman Sori, Samantha Downs, Jerry Henry, Ryan Reisert, Josh Braun, and a huge shout out to my guest for episode 50, Victor Antonio. This episode is special for me, and you'll hear it in the episode, so I won't bore you with it now, because Victor is somebody who's just very instrumental in my growth as a salesperson, as a virtual mentor, and to have the opportunity to interview him one-on-one, kind of surreal, one of my bucket list things as far as my professional career goes. So really enjoyed this conversation with Victor. And we talk about how he got into sales. We talk about his journey. He's just got some great stories about some lessons that he's learned along the way. And all in all, I am absolutely positive that the value that I've gotten out of all of Victor's content over the years will shine through on this episode. If you haven't heard of Victor Antonio before now, he is a keynote speaker, a sales trainer, He was the host of a Spike TV show called Life or Debt. He's got an awesome podcast called the Sales Influence Podcast. So really pumped for you guys to hear this episode. If you don't have time to listen to the whole thing right now, I am going to serve up a snack break sales tip from Victor Antonio. Take a listen. I'm going to give you the one tip I give everybody that will guarantee you to make you more money, close more deals, and get your way. And that is, and what I'll do is I'll send you the book, James, on PDF so you can share it with listeners, okay? Perfect. The book is called Response Block Selling. Let me give you the short version of this. What I've learned in selling or convincing other people is that if you raise the objection first, you control the objection. So what I teach in my Response Block Selling is raise the objection. Find out every customer typically has three to five, at most, seven objections. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you can weave in those objections by you raising it first, you will control the conversation, but you always also reduce resistance. And I, this is not theory. It's not anecdotal. It's applicable. And so in the book response block selling, I have the top, I think 22 uh, objections you'll get. And then I give you the psychology behind why it works. So it's scientifically based, right? But also highly actionable. I like that combination scientifically based, highly actionable. And I give you 22 scripts, which you will then modify to your business that you can use. But first you have to understand the psychology of why it works. Then I give you a framework. It's a simple framework. Raise the objection, offer to resolve it, show them something, tie the objection down. And then I give you 22 examples of typical objections you give. If you just did this one thing, this one thing, you will see the difference immediately in your sales. Absolute gold from Victor Antonio. You can expect more of that in the full-length episode. And before we get started, last episode of season two, one of the new additions to the podcast this season that I've absolutely loved has been including Mindful Minutes from Keith Cordero, the mindful sales rep himself. And it wouldn't be the last episode of the season if I didn't have one last one. So take a minute. Take a breath and listen to Keith with one last mindful minute for season two. 
Hey everyone, this is Keith Cordero with another Mindful Minute brought to you by the Mindful Sales Rep. For the season finale of the Lunch Break Podcast, I want to hit the pause button on our discussion of the Eightfold Path, but don't worry, we will revisit it next season. Today, I want to talk about something that affects all of us in sales, which is that infamous year-end push to hit quota. Q4 is historically known as one of the craziest, most stressful, yet most lucrative quarters of the fiscal year. It's easy to get trapped in our own heads as we focus on our individual goals and the pressure to hit specific quotas. At times, this vigilant focus can dilute our compassion and empathy towards clients, prospects, team members, and yeah, even friends and family outside of work. Making sure that we can cultivate compassion during these difficult times is essential to both our mental health and relationships. One way to set the table proactively is to simply recognize that this is traditionally a stressful and intense period of the year. This creates self-awareness, which in turn will prepare you for any challenges that will more than likely present themselves. You can also work on cultivating compassion for yourself and others during a visualization meditation like Tibetan Tonglen meditation, where you simply envision yourself breathing in any stress or suffering that you and others are facing and then visualizing breathing out compassion and understanding in the form of light. Either way, take it easy, enjoy the ride and be good to each other. See you next season on the Lunch Break Podcast. All right, folks, the last episode, episode 50, take a listen. And thank you for every single person who's listened to episode one, to episode 50, season one, season two. Really absolutely thankful for every time you guys click play on one of these episodes. So with that, enjoy this one. All right. This is episode 50 of the Lunch Break Podcast, and it's a monumental episode, not only because it's the end of season two for the Lunch Break Podcast culmination of two seasons of wonderful conversations with tons of wonderful sales professionals. But mainly for me, it's because today's guest is Victor Antonio. Victor Antonio is a world-class sales trainer. He is an author. He is a professional salesperson. He's a podcaster. He's done so many things for the sales community and, and done so many things for me personally as a salesperson. I'm, I'm having a little bit of trouble containing my excitement. So uh, I'm going to shut up here and, and just say thanks to Victor for coming on the show, man. Super excited to have you here. James, I'm super excited to be here as well, man. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, for, for anybody who's not familiar with, with you just really quick, um, before we dive in, you know, Victor, somebody who, uh, has a great story about, how sales kind of changed the, the path of your life. And, and so with that, I think I want to just kick it off by asking, Victor, how did you get started in sales? So I'll give you the short version, then we can elaborate wherever you'd like. How's that? Sure. Uh, so a little background. So my family's originally from Puerto Rico, but I was born in Chicago. Uh, so we were poor, 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 food stamps, government cheese, powdered milk, the whole bit, right? Uh, small violin for all you guys out there. There it is. And so mother said, go to school, get the education so you can get that great J-O-B. Went to school, got an engineering degree, got an MBA. Uh, started out as an engineer, three years into the gig. I'm like, hate it. You know, mm -hmm. got to get out of this thing. And that's when I eventually found sales. That's the shortcut version of how I got into sales. But, you know, essentially, you know, uh, I think sales is a great career, man. I think it's the, remember, everybody else is a call center in a company. Sales department is a profit center. I got to remind people, marketing, cost center. Accounting, cost center. Operation, cost center. Sales, profit center. And if you know how to sell, I'm telling you right now, if you know how to communicate, articulate, and sell, then you will always have a job. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the way the story that I love from you about that kind of light bulb moment that I think a lot of people have that maybe have decided to go one way in a career. Uh, I know a lot of folks, especially now, just with the way things are teachers, there's a lot of teachers that are like five years in and they're just, they just can't manage it anymore. And so they get into sales. Um, you got into engineering and I love the story that you tell about uh, when that 
the first deal closed and the guy oh, yeah. took you out for steak. So the, tell the that Ken story. Cook, the Ken Cook moment. The Ken yeah, Cook moment. Yeah. And so I'm an engineer. I was working for a company called EF Johnson at the time and I was designing wireless systems, right? And so Iowa State and Power and Gas, we were bidding on a system. We were going up against Motorola and at that time it was Ericsson GE. And I remember uh, I was working with the sales guy, Ken Cook, and I was the engineer. So anytime, you know, we would fly down there and anytime there were tough questions, I had to answer the tough questions, explain my design, the whole bit. Uh, and, and, you know, Ken was the sales guy, the lead. And so one day Ken comes to me and, you know, calls me, but he walks into the office, Victor, we won the deal. And I'm like, oh my God. And he's like, it's like 5 million. So I'm like super excited. Said, Victor, I'm taking you out to lunch. So I see, he said, wherever you want to go, Victor. I'm like, yeah, well, we're going to a steakhouse then if that's the deal, right? <laughs> so went out to a steakhouse, had a nice steak, snuck in a beer. And I remember we get back to the office. My belly's full. I'm happy as you know what. I'm just, I'll get out. And Roy, his name was Roy. Uh, I won't say his last name because then he'll know who he is. But Roy, there's this old engineer named Roy, right? And then I walk into the office. I'm all fat, dumb, and happy. And Roy's like that, that negative person in the office all the time, right? Always got something to say, right? And so he says, what are you smiling about? I said, man, Ken took me out to lunch, man. And I'm like, man, I'm full. We went to a steakhouse. He picked up the bill. I'm happy, man. My belly's full the whole bit, right? And Roy's like, well, let me ask you a question. I said, since you're so happy. I said, I said, what? What's your question, Roy? He says, well, how big was the deal? I said, $5 million. I said, where did he take you? He said, a steakhouse. And I told him it was a steakhouse. I said, man, he must have dropped at least 50 bucks on me, man. Easy. And he says, huh. He said, then he asked a question. He says, well, I'm glad you enjoyed the steak, but let me ask you a question. Uh, how much do you think he's going to make on this, on your design? And I'd be like, uh, I don't know. And, he, and it was like, he'll probably make about $50,000 in the first phase. Hope you enjoyed that steak. Because Ken just spent like 50 bucks on a thing. And I'm like, I, well, that was like a gut punch. And it was like, oh man, I need to get in sales. Because I was doing a lot of designs at the time. Yeah. And I was really, back then we called it a four-legged call. A four-legged call was when you go with a salesperson. The engineer accompanies a salesperson because the salesperson had limited knowledge. And so you were always there just to kind of back them up. Anytime the tough question came up. So uh, that's when I started traveling. I started traveling with salespeople and that's how I started learning about sales mm -hmm. as an engineer. Believe it or not, nobody believes this when I tell them this, but if you find any of my high school friends, they will tell you, any of my college friends, I was an introvert. Yeah. Like an introvert, man. And people see me today, I'm like, they're like, what happened to you, man? <laughs> what was all that suppressed talking? You know, where it must have finally came out or something, but I had to learn. And if you're listening to this, I want you to know this. Even if you're an introvert, you can learn. Mm -hmm. And I think my big, if I were to talk about when it really began was, I remember I saw Zig Ziglar, I think it was 92, 93. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Zig Ziglar. May he rest in peace. And after that, I decided to join Toastmasters, which was a speaking organization. And man, I'm telling you, that's the best investment you can make. If you're listening to me right now, and by the way, anybody can sell. Really, I don't care if you're an introvert, extrovert. I've met them both and both can sell at their extreme. Uh, I always tell people that, you know, you got to sell your way, your style mm -hmm. and stop trying to copy what other people are doing. And I think when you arrive at that point, when you can feel comfortable about providing value, then you can sell effectively. And so check out Toastmasters. I mean, it's a, it's an organization where they give you 10 different speeches where you have to kind of, you know, work through them. But at the end of those 10 speeches, you will be a better speaker slash presenter. Yeah. Yeah. So when you went into Toastmasters, you would have con completely considered yourself an introvert. It was like a step for you to say, like, I've identified that, you know, this is an area that I want to get better at, but it rests well outside of my comfort zone. Yeah, um, I, I, I would say I was somewhere between at that point, I say that I, I was coming out of my, my introvert phase. I was talking more because now when you're in a company, I had to do more presentations, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so when I joined Toastmasters, uh, if you really want to laugh, if you really want to laugh, if you go online and you type in Victor Antonio first Toastmaster speech, it's actually online. I found, I found it on the VHS tape, if you can believe it. that's how old I am. And by the way, be warned, I have curls back then. So you could, you could probably pull that up and, and you can just see me in my, I look like somebody came out, you know, one of those, hey, you got to see what I'm wearing, man. I look like, you know, if you know what the band, if you know the band, the time, Prince's band, the time, that's what I look like, you know, like I straight out of the time. And so it's online. And the comment I usually get after people watch that video, they're like, man, you really, you really stunk. So if you can get that good, then maybe there's hope for me yet. So and the answer is yes, there is hope. If you practice, you will become a great speaker. And by yeah. the way, even if you don't want to be in sales, James, even if you want to be, uh, you want to move up in a corporation, 
that's why I did it initially. And believe it or not, what happened was when I got better at speaking, my bosses would actually say, let Victor do the presentation. When a client came in, they said, give it to Victor, let him do it. And that's when I started moving up within corporate America. Yeah. Yeah. It, it acted as kind of a magnet, like, okay, he's a smart guy and we know that, but now he's got the language to match it and the ability to articulate all of this stuff, which is a, a well put, well put. secret weapon, right? It is, it's, man. It's, it it's is. When you've got that technical knowledge and the, I mean, I, I think about the analytics consulting firms I've worked for. And if we had had somebody like that, we could have fired four people, right? Because yep. you're bringing six people to a call to explain everything. Yep. And so the, the language part is so huge. And I know you're a fan of, of Daniel Pink and, and definitely. Yeah. And, and you know, his theory is that the best salespeople are ambiverts, right? They That's, rest somewhere correct. right in the middle, right? They're, they're not a hundred percent extroverted all the time. Got to be the center of attention. You That's know, correct. That's it. That's crazy. a good point. That's a good point. So let's emphasize that because I, I like bringing that one up also. So Daniel Pink wrote a book called Drive. Uh, and the there's a study in there about introverts, extroverts, and there's a phrase called ambivert. And the study was based on, I think the guy's name is Adam Grant, who wrote the book Originals. And so he did this study with salespeople. And what they found, to, to keep it short, is that the best salespeople are somewhere between an introvert and an extrovert. And if you think about it, it makes sense. An extrovert talks too much, doesn't listen well right? An introvert yep. doesn't talk enough, but knows a lot. And so if you can just, as you said, combine those two, have the knowledge, and I guess the articulation and also the engagement with someone, yep. and believe it or not, it's mostly just listening and asking great questions. That's really what selling is. If you think about it, uh, when I strip it down, I always tell people, man, if you just shut up and listen, ask great questions, people arrive at their own conclusion, and then you got a deal. Yeah, and so uh, I knew a guy. If I if I, if I may, I, I like stories to start. I knew a guy. Uh, <laughs> this guy, I'll tell you, his name was. Um, I remember his last name was Shoemaker. Can't think of his name right now. But he was like, if you met this guy, he was like, he's like a looked like a nerd, man, straight up nerd, right? And he was killing it in sales. And we're like, what does this guy do? Because he barely talks. Yeah. And when I talked to his customers, because I, I was an engineer, I traveled with him. And the customers loved him because, man, the guy would just sit there patiently listening. Yeah. And now he knew his product, so he had to have knowledge, but he would listen. And he, he never forced himself on the customer, never tried to get them to buy something. He just said, well, I think here's what we have that might help you. You know, if you want to do a field trial, we can do that. And that's how he sold. Killed it every year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, that approach is so counterintuitive to what a lot of people think a successful salesperson is. I mean, I was telling you before we started, I first found your videos when I was working in retail sales and my whole mindset in retail sales was, you know, I need to have the slick back hair. I need to be the most dressed, yeah. well-dressed person. I need to talk the most. I need to control the conversation and push them, bring the accessories and you know, all of that stuff. And in reality, when you realize like, if I just shut up, and yeah. just listen to what they have to say, uh, it changes the whole game. And then you have this, for me, it was almost like a little bit of a relief, like, oh, okay, cool. I don't have to put on this facade of being this. Uh, that's what it is. That's yeah. what it is, really. It's a facade. And, you know, you know, back in the 70s, maybe the 80s, you know, before the internet really took off, some millennials are going, what? Before the internet? Was there before ever the such a time? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. And back then, you know, the customer wasn't informed. So when I talk, when I, when I do a lot of training, I always talk about what's changed. Uh, let's just say pre-internet, uh, the customer didn't know a lot. So they were willing to listen to you. Yep. Right. That's why you can blather a lot. You know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, ABC, always be closing, Arthur Miller, death of a salesman type of thing. Right. Yeah. But then you fast forward, we have the internet now, people search online, 10 sources of information before they reach out to you, which yep. means when they talk to you now, they're informed. So you better know. And you better understand what they're trying to do. So it's a totally different buyer. And it's unfortunate because many salespeople still apply the old school way of selling to how people buy today. And, yeah. the, and the connotation out there, and I'm sure people who are listening to this are thinking, I can't be a salesperson because I can't be like that. Good. Don't be like that. <laughs> be you. Sell the way you sell. And I'll go back to one thing you did say that I think still holds true is that you should control the conversation. But let me put a little asterisk on that. Control the conversation not by talking, 
you control the conversation by asking questions. Mm -hmm. And so I always say that the average salesperson practices what to say. The superior salesperson practices what to ask. Because by asking, you can guide the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, asking the right questions requires a certain level of, of product knowledge and industry knowledge, which it sounds like when you made that transition, you probably already had, right? Mm -hmm. When you came from the technical background into, you know, a sales role and, and made that transition. And, you know, you went on to, to move up through corporate America um, and if we had another hour, I, I, you know, we could go into that story because I think there's a lot there. But what I wanted to, to talk about is, is this decision that you made to leave corporate America and mm. become a speaker, right? Because yeah. um, I've had a lot of sales pros on the, pro, uh, the podcast so far, but not anybody who's made that transition Right, you know, into being a speaker and and um, a sales trainer, and I think it's something that I feel like if you're if you've been a salesperson for any amount of time, it's probably crossed your mind. Like, hey, right. I could I probably would enjoy being a speaker, or I'd like to be a sales trainer, you know. And it's always right. like seems like this cool idea. Maybe yeah. I'll get around yeah. to it, kind of thing. Um, I know that's how it's been for me, right? It's always been like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, maybe someday, kind of thing. Uh, I, I think, it, it, you know, James, it was like that for me for a while because, uh, and I'll give you again the short version. And by the way, for those who want the longer version of this, online, if you go on YouTube, I did a documentary called The Motivator. Yes. It's online for free and that really gets into the whole story. Yeah. So Such check that out. Such a good movie. Thank Co you, man. Sign, thumbs Thank up, you, two thumbs up. And there's a new one on Prime too. There is. Uh, what is it called? God, Beyond, Beyond the Stage. Beyond the Stage. Yeah. Thank you, man. I almost forgot that one. You got uh, it. That was like a, a, a follow-up to The Motivator. Yep. you know, an update. So what happened was when I, when I saw Zig Ziglar for the first time, somebody gave me tickets to go see Peak Performers. Uh, Peak Performance was the company and they brought in these speakers and I was like, oh my God, look at that guy. So in my head, I go, one day I want to be like that. I want to do that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I remember people were real negative in my head and I didn't have the confidence to move forward. We just, you know, kids are, you know, just, you had one child, another one on the way type of thing. So it's like, yeah, you know, not life. a good time. To, yeah, life, yeah, life gets in the way. Yeah. And so, but it was always back there, which is also one, of the, it was an impetus to join Toastmasters because I wanted to learn how to speak like that. Yep. And fast forward, I did exceptionally well. You know, I went from, you know, account manager to director to VP of sales, to president of sales and marketing, $420 million company. And May 9th, 2001, 3.48 p.m., man, I just said, I'm done. And I walked away, lost everything like stock options, salary. Uh, and I tell the story. I mean, at that time, my base salary was 250000 That was just the base salary. Commissions on top of that. My stock options lost all that. And at the end of, so I quit in May. At the, by the end of the year, I made like $17,000, like one seven. Talk about a fall from grace. And so, yeah, yeah. And so, but it, you know, I call it the quiet discontent. I think that's why I called it in the video because I had this quiet discontent and that's that feeling you get in your stomach when you're sitting at home quietly in your office or at the kitchen table at night and you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do it. My wife said she saw me come in one day. She said she was watching me through the window and she said, you, you came home early and she said, just watching you walk up the driveway was the saddest thing I'd ever seen. She said, mm. you know, and I, that really, she goes, I, she goes, when I saw that, I goes, I never want him to, I never want to see that face again. So when I told her I was going to do this, she was like, yeah, I'll support you. You know, so. <laughs> well, you know, it's those moments where you don't, you know, nobody, you, you don't think anybody's watching, right? Because especially as a salesperson and a, and a sales executive that's been successful and at this certain level, you're expected to kind of be the man and on and everything's fine and we're good and we're moving forward. And then for her to catch you in that moment right. and as you're walking up the driveway. Yeah, I'm sure she was like, let's do yeah. something different. Cause when you That's see what she that, said, yeah. I think when, you know, when you, when I think back at that time, it was like, you know, people think, you know, it, it's interesting. The, the, the irony of things, right? When you're, when you're at the, I'll just say bottom of the, the organizational chart, you're like, man, I wish I had to like those guys up there. Right. Yep. Yep. And then when you get up there, you're like, God, I wish I had like that guy down there because life is simpler down there. Exactly. And so uh, eventually I just said I had to do my own thing. And it was scary because nobody in my family, you know, was an entrepreneur. Yeah. There so was no I didn't blueprint. Have any, 
there was no blueprint. There was no foundation. I mean, literally my mother and my father, I think respectively, they had a third grade education, fifth grade education. And again, when they came from Puerto Rico, didn't speak the language. And, but yeah. my mother knew school was important, right? She's like, get the education, you know? Uh, and so it was, I made so many mistakes. I mean, I made so many mistakes. I lost so much money. I did so many stupid things during that transition period. So if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't know, I'm scared. Yeah, well, welcome to the club. <laughs> and the thing is, you're going to make mistakes. Get over that. You know what I mean? My yeah. favorite phrase is, I don't, I don't know who said this, but said, never aim for perfection, aim for success. Now, I've always loved that phrase because if you're waiting for something to be perfect, it's never going to be perfect. Yep. When I create content online, it's never perfect. Yeah. I just don't care. Yeah. I just do the best I can, and there it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's all well, you can do. So, you know, I think it's so that's such a key mindset to have because you are immediately um, kind of put into this situation where you're like, okay, wow, I need to, uh, <laughs> I need to make this happen in a way that I've never really had to do it like this before, right? Like yeah. being completely uh, without a safety net is a, is, is a big scary. step. Yeah. It's super scary. And I, I, I remember, I got to tell you a story because this is, this, this illustrates, you know, uh, a point I want to make. And that is when I decided to do the motivator, it's a yeah. documentary, right? Yeah. And I remember I was telling people and they're like, Victor, you've never done a documentary. <laughs> you know, who are you to do a documentary? I said, I don't care. I'm doing a documentary. I don't know how it's going to come up, but we're doing a documentary. <laughs> And so it was nominated for several film festivals, won one international film festival award. I didn't know what I was doing at all. I just knew I wanted to do one. And if I listened to other people, I wouldn't have done it. There's so many examples of that. Even when I wrote my first book, same thing. Everybody's in my ear about, wow, you never wrote a book. You probably got, you barely got a C in English, you know, and it's not even your first language type of thing, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. And so, but I still did it anyway. That's, that's, such a key thing. And you know, what's really super interesting about that um, is sitting in the seat of somebody who uh, has consumed that content from the perspective of like being like, oh, that's somebody who like, I want to watch what they're doing because I want to do the same type of thing. Right. Um, and then to have it affect me and, you know, thousands upon thousands of other people in a way that's like motivational. And I've always appreciated the, and I wouldn't even call it raw because it's, it's just real, like the real quality of the content you produce, right? It's yeah. not overly polished. You know, there's, you know, in that, in, in the motivator, you know, you're like, you forget your script, uh, the, your, your notes at home and you have to write it on the back of a bar bag, bag, you know, <laughs> like it's just, that was Here's true. What it's way. really like. This is I what it's like, really like. Yeah, that, that moment in the movie, I remember. Uh, so the cameraman, uh, the guy who did the, not only the filming, but the editing, his, his name is Dan Perez, who did a phenomenal job. Yeah. And I'm yep. sitting on the plane, and he's, he's sitting across the aisle from me. And I said, and I just sat there, and I go, Dan, pull out your camera. He goes, what for? I said, dude, just pull it out. Because I, you know, I wanted to give an honest <laughs> reaction. And that's when I looked at him. He, he says, okay, I'm ready with the camera. And I go, I forgot my notes. I'd been working on these notes and I forgot the notes. And uh, yeah, but I think the, when, when I think about what holds people back a lot is, it is that, that, that quiet fear of, you know, I don't know if I can do this. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I think there's no way to get through that. There's so many people who just don't get going, James, because they're afraid. And I know we talk about fear, but I often wonder it. I ask people this question, but, but what are you afraid of? I mean, what is the worst that could happen? What is the, I mean, let's, let's walk through this scenario. Yeah. Years ago, I heard a statistic. It went something like this. See if I can remember it. 60% of what you worry about never comes to pass. 20% of what you worry about is in the past, so who cares? 10% <laughs> of what you worry about, if it came to pass, wouldn't impact you. The main 10% would impact you, but wouldn't kill you. Yeah. In other words, doesn't matter. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I get it. You'll take a financial hit. Yeah. People laugh at you. Yeah, get over it. But you'll live with no regrets towards the end. Yeah, and I think it's it's an important message really for anybody at any stage of their career, right? So whether it's it's you're a frontline sales rep and and you want to take that chance or or go in for that interview that you're not completely qualified for or you know, you're at the end of a 20-year 
sales career and you're ready to branch out and do your own thing. I mean, that mindset is so powerful because it prevents you from the paralysis by analysis, the Absolutely. constant, you know, worrying about what if, or, you know, uh, I mean, it's this, it's the only way that something like this podcast has ever gotten off the ground. Right. It was just like, okay, well I could sit around and think about doing this for another six months or I could just, you know, just do it. Uh, just start doing it. Just and do the it. other thing that I tell people is that nobody's going to listen to it anyway. Nobody cares. Nobody, there's not some huge audience waiting for you and your content to yeah. arrive. By the way, that's like, ego right there. By the way, that's ego. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, what stops people is ego, right? If you, if you saw my first, I mean, if you really go back and look at my first videos. Yeah. The first, by the way, the first one I did, literally I was holding a computer in my hand, my laptop, and I was using the webcam as I was writing on the board. That was my first video I ever did. And I was like, okay. This, and, and then the second one, I was using these little messed up cameras way back in the day. And I'm looking, I look back at those and I knew they weren't the greatest back then, but I told myself, let's do a hundred. Yep. Dude, let's do a hundred. And then like right now, you know, I launched the, uh, the Victor Antonio show, which is really a podcast slash show. Yeah. And so we're on episode, we're going to record episode three now. Yeah. And so my daughter helps produce it. Yeah. And we always talk about, let's do the first 10. Let's see where it goes. Cause we have no idea what the hell we're doing. <laughs> right. We don't, we don't know what we're doing and we're yeah. figuring it out. But the thing is, it's almost like I tell people, I said, in order to see what's around the corner, you have to walk to the corner. You have to get there. You can't stand there and say, okay, I wonder what's around the corner. You got to walk to the corner, make all the mistakes and go, oh, okay, this is how this works. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never been easier to do that, right? Oh. The, the, the barrier to entry is so low for great point. <laughs> you know, that anything is, that you want to do. It's just so easy to start. I mean, you know what's mind-blowing? And I, and, I, and I have perspective on this, is that if... If somebody told you pre-internet that you can, you can record yourself on video, broadcast yourself to the world for free, what would you pay? You know, or would you pay anything? People would say, yeah, I pay a lot of money. Today, that's what you do. That's YouTube, right? Yeah. You broadcast for free. You get your marketing message out there. When I read, um, it was 2008, because uh, people always ask me how I get started with video. In 2008, I read Gary Vaynerchuk's book, Crush It. And he was video. And at that point, I said, well, not a lot of people are doing video. So I went all in on the video. All in on the video, man. And it was like, that was a moment for me. And so today we have like, I think it's like 1,200 videos on YouTube. Something like some crazy number like that. And now everybody's trying to catch up. Yeah. Because everybody's figured it out. Well, but you've so, been doing it for consistently for years, right? Yeah, 11 I mean, years now, man. 11 years, man. Yeah, which is exactly how long I've been in sales. Yeah. So you've literally, and, and you know, what's really interesting is that, um, and what's so cool is that when you find somebody who's creating content like that and is consistent with it, like I've been able to see like from the first videos that I ever watched to mm -hmm. you, you know, with your own TV show on true TV, right? right. And that whole growth and you're watching it and you're like, Oh, well, okay it's from the consistency, right? I mean, that's, that's what it is. And so you begin to realize you have to get used to putting like hundreds of pieces of content out before anybody cares or even looks at it. Yeah. I always tell people, if you, if you don't have a hundred pieces, you're not in the game yet. Yeah. You're, you're, you're standing outside the stadium right now. And yep. I think the, you know, for those, you mentioned my show. So for those who don't know me, I have a show called life or debt, which is on, on the Paramount network now, which is spike TV. And so they found me through a video online. You know what's even, what's even funnier about that? I did this big event, right? Uh, it's, if you look up the greatest motivational speech ever by Victor, right? And in the distance, I remember I saw this guy with a camera. Yeah. And he just set it up and he recorded it. And I, I got like the DVD at the time, you know, like about, I don't know, like three or four months later, I'm like, what's this? And I put it on, I said, oh my God, he captured me on, you know, doing this thing live with the full like reaction. So nice. that's the video I popped up online. Yeah. And that's the one that the director said, we found that video. We're like, we got to reach out to this guy. Next thing you know, I got my own television show, season one, life or death, what? check it out. You know, I mean, that is a perfect example of yeah. just put it on the internet. You know, you weren't concerned that it wasn't something that was edited by you or recorded by you or that it, it was, didn't have it the right zero edit. I just popped it up there, man. It was like, I, there was yeah. no editing. Yeah. It was I like, mean, there it is. It's, and it's insane. It's, it's insane. serendipity, man. That's, that's called serendipity. And I think, I think people need to just keep slinging. 
Yeah. Well, you got to put enough energy out there into the universe to have that stuff start working back like for in your favor. Right. Because it's true. It's completely a real thing. Um, you know, I've had, (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, amazing opportunities. I mean, you know, my entire work professional life right now would be entirely different if it wasn't for the internet and LinkedIn and my presence on social media. Same here. Same here. Wouldn't even be close to the same. So, you know, that, that journey and that decision that you made to make that switch, it's really just about taking that action and, and listening to your, to, to your gut. Right. And, um, doing it your way, man. I, th- I think that's another thing I would emphasize is that there was a moment, uh, and I think I talk about this in the motivator where, where I was like, not happy, not making money. Nobody was really booking me. Yep. And I decided to do it my way one day. Yep. Use my style. Let it go through me my way. I was scared, scared, like, man, like you wouldn't believe James. I was scared. And I got on stage and I did it my way and it worked. And I remember this was at a college. The part that's not in the documentary is that the next day I had to fly to Atlanta and I had to do it for a large corporation. And I go, well, do I go back to the safe presentation or do I do it yeah, my way? Yeah, decision to make. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I remember I was, I was just shaking my, you know, and I did it my way again. And I remember I got a standing ovation and I was like, there it is. There and it is. That, I realized that as soon as you stop trying to mimic or copy other people, uh, you would do well. There's a guy by the name of James uh, Sanborn, Mark Sanborn, who wrote, oh, I forgot, he wrote The Fred Factor, but he has a great saying, and I forgot a second book, something, the something principle, but he said, imitate to learn, innovate to earn. So let me just say that slowly because it's really powerful if you think about it. Yeah. Imitate to learn. So if you want to learn from somebody, imitate them. Don't copy them, imitate them. But then you have to innovate to earn money. In other words, now take what you've learned, add you, that's the secret sauce, you. Yep. And then that's when people want to hire you. And it's such a, such a uh, valuable piece of advice because it, it can be applied across, again, you know, whether you're a sales rep, being told to follow a script and just hitting a bunch of walls and a bunch of nose, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you've got to learn how to reiterate and innovate and, and take that and, and make it your own. But, you know, with all of the things we've been talking about, the low barrier to entry to get started and mm-hmm. making whatever you want to have happen, happen. Um, there's also a plethora of people that have already done it that you can look to yep. to imitate, right? And one of the things that I love about you that you always talk about is, you know, I've had uh, real life mentors and then I've had virtual mentors, right? Yep. So uh, there are so many great resources out there that are literally available for free that are just giving away this information. Giving it away, know? man. I mean, it's... <laughs> You know, the, the information has been commoditized and democratized. <laughs> Everybody has access to this information. Yeah. And so there is no excuse for you not to learn something. Mm. Just go up on YouTube, Google it, right? I mean, it's everywhere. And so people, I think, you know, I'll say the, maybe the younger generation doesn't appreciate that as much as I do. Because back yeah. in the day, you had to pay for all that stuff. Yeah. Well, or you couldn't get access to it, yeah. period. Yeah. I mean, I remember you... Uh... We had encyclopedias, right? Yeah, so we yeah. had a, the, the bookcase and the whole shelf of encyclopedias, and that's yeah. where you went to find out information. And No, no, I go, back, I go back. I'm older than you. I go back than that. I remember having to drive to the library or take the bus <laughs> to the library, and I remember pulling out the card system with the Dewey Decimal System, looking up the card, finding what books they had, then going to the shelf and realize it was empty. Wasted oh, trip to the library. Worst. You know, middle of Chicago. Tried doing that in the winter a couple of times. Jeez. And so now... If I even have an idea that tickles my brain, I Google it. <laughs> if I want a book, I just go to Amazon, yeah, right? And, and I just overnighted, it. yeah. The content is all around us. Yeah. And so really, the only, I'm telling you, the only thing that's missing is you. Mm-hmm. As Your soon decision. as you make that decision, and I think that's the part where people struggle with, is that, and it's, everybody has their own timing, but once yeah. you make a decision, man, I'm telling you, it's, it's, and so I'm always asked a question, so do you, re, you know, do you regret it? Do you like it? I said, man, I live a great life, man. I'm telling you, people always ask me, Victor, where you want to be in five years? I always say, exactly where I'm at right now. Yeah. Because I'm in, I'm in my zone, man. You know what I mean? I'm working yeah. enough, but not too much. I'm enjoying mm-hmm. life, and I'm really just, my quality of life is shameful. 
<laughs> now, by, by quality of life, I, want, I don't want people to think, okay, you got the Lamborghini out there. You know, no, I'm not even talking that. I drive, I drive a almost 20-year-old Volvo. <laughs> that sucker still humming. It's got 214,000 miles. I'm proud of it. Why? Oh, yeah. Because I'm the guy that doesn't have to impress anybody, man. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I, I learned, I, man, that's one of the biggest lessons. I think if people get that through their head, and if I can bore you with this story, but this, this story was a moment for me. So uh, my, my wife and I, we've now been together now 33 years, right? First started out, we were just broke, man, just broke. Uh, uh, I remember back then I, was, I would like rip the check in the corner where the numbers were because when you rip the check in the corner just a little bit, it couldn't, it couldn't process it through a machine. They had to process it by hand. So it'd give me three extra days of money in the bank type of thing, right? That is that's, yeah, pro broke, level. Yeah, dude. yeah, man, that's, that's, that's hood mindset right there, straight up hood. <laughs> and so I remember we bought her. She needed a car. Our, our first son was born. Second one was on the way. And I bought her this, we, we couldn't afford it. So we bought it, I bought her this like Buick Skylark, living in Minnesota, yeah, for sure, right? And this thing has so many holes in it because of rust spots. Like, it was like Swiss cheese, man, right? <laughs> and so I remember one day, I'm, I'm in, it's snowing, um, I'm in the kitchen and I'm looking out the window and I can see in, the, in the, the parking space we have by the apartments, this car, which is like an eyesore, right? And I looked at my wife and I said, man, we need to get you a new car. She goes, why? I go, what do you mean why? I said, look at it. And you, here's what she said that blew me away. She goes, she goes, well, yeah, that's what people see from the outside, but I'm sitting inside and it's pretty nice inside. <laughs> and my brain locked up. Yeah. Because what she was saying to me, she goes, I don't care what people see from where I'm sitting inside the car because it was really nice inside. It was just outside. looked like hell. Yeah. And that taught me, forget what other people think. As long as from where you're sitting, things look good, it is good. That's what I mean by a quality of life mindset. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not about, dude, it, look, I, I love money, love making money. When people tell me money is important, I'm like, shut up, it is, right? Because money buys you options. Yeah. That's what money gets you. It guarantees you options. If you want to, so if you want to, if you want to be miserable, be miserable. If you want to be happy, be happy. But I think this, this mindset today that you have to have a lot of money to enjoy life. I think we're missing something, man. I think we're missing it, man. I think we need to pull back a little bit. Social media is killing us, man, with all this faux lifestyle that you see out there. Everybody's blinging. Everybody's got these cool houses, got the Lamborghini, you know, all this stuff. And I'm just like, ugh, stop showing me the best of you. Why don't you show me some real stuff? Because I know there's some real... I've met a lot of people who online look like they're just living it. And when I meet them and I talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, true stories come out. I can't tell you the number of times that's happened yeah. and I'm like, wow. And so yeah. there's, and they're, and they're still fronting online, <laughs> the, you know, and I'm, you know, right after they cry to you or yeah. have some like, sort of makes mental no breakdown, sense. you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, um, turn inward, man. I'm telling you, man, the, the key yeah. is to turn inward, man. Dude, are you happy? Check yourself, man. You know, yeah. and just, and I think if, if you're constantly, you know, I think if you're constantly growing, I think that's the trick. If you don't feel like you're moving in life, I think that's where we get depressed a little bit. Yeah. And so if, if you're listening to this and you're feeling stuck, I'm telling you, one of the best ways to get unstuck is to watch an educational video online, you know, find somebody you like, read a book. These are the things that I use to get me unstuck. Listen to a great podcast like this, right? These are the things that get you unstuck. Yeah. But as, yeah. Long, as soon as you realize nobody has this figured out, we're all guessing at it. We're all guessing and we're hoping we're right. And like I said, what you don't often see is all the mistakes people make and all the money spent. But these are people who keep swimming upstream. Those are the ones that get there, man. Yeah. Continued forward motion is the only way, right? I mean, it's just that that's, that's going to guarantee some level of comfort for you, right? Is if, if your mindset is like, okay, got it. Flat tire today late bills today, whatever, you know, Got whatever's it, going on, but I'm going forward. I'm, there's That's no, it. we're figuring this out. So, yeah. As soon as you take that mindset, I'm gonna figure this out. It, yep. It's just a matter of time before you figure it out. Yeah. And I yeah. think the, the, the mind's greatest disease, the mind's greatest disease is one of comparison. Mm, the worst. As soon, <laughs> you know, if, as soon as you stop comparing yourself, which is very difficult to do, by the way, Way easier it's very, yeah, it's very difficult. You know, I, I think we always have to work on ourselves with that. But yeah. you have to remind yourself, you know, let them be them. You know, I was listening to, what was that song? Uh, it was by James something. 
come on, let it go. Just let it be. You be you, let me be me type of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, powerful lyrics, man. Just, you know, you be you, I'll be me. And we're good. Yeah. Just call it that. And don't try to, you know, reach too far to be, you know, something that you're not. And I, you know, I think it's, it's uh, just so key with, with all of the different variables in today's world, especially on social media. And, and I'm looking at the clock here and, and want to respect the time we've got with you. So um, as we get to the end of the podcast here, I need to make sure, even though this entire episode's kind of been one huge uh, valuable tip <laughs> in, mm-hmm. in and of itself, um, always want to share a, an, an actionable tip with, with the audience that they can take back to their desk after they listen to the show. So Victor, what's a, what, what's a quick sales tip that you can give the audience that they can go back and use? I'm going to give you the one tip I give everybody that will guarantee you to make you more money, close more deals and get your way. And that is, and what I'll do is I'll send you the book, James, on PDF so you can share it with listeners. Okay. Perfect. The book is called response block selling. Let me give you the short version of this. What I've learned in selling or convincing other people is that if you raise the objection first, you control the objection. So what I teach in my response block selling is raise the objection. Find out every customer typically has three to five at most seven objections. Mm -hmm. And if you can weave in those objections by you raising it, First, you will control the conversation, but you always also reduce resistance. And I, this is not theory. It's not anecdotal. It's applicable. And so in the book, Response Block Selling, I have the top, I think, 22 uh, objections you'll get. And then I give you the psychology behind why it works. So it's scientifically based, right? But also highly actionable. I like that combination, scientifically based, highly actionable. And I give you 22 scripts which you will then modify to your business that you can use. But first you have to understand the psychology of why it works. Then I give you a framework. It's a simple framework. Raise the objection, offer to resolve it, show them something, tie the objection down. And then I give you 22 examples of typical objections you give. If you just did this one thing, this one thing, you will see the difference immediately in your sales. And this is the first sales tip on the Lunch Break podcast that I can personally attest to because I started doing this when I learned this theory from you, Victor, and, and it's incredibly powerful. It, it, it is. It, uh, you know, and I think the story that you told surrounding kind of your realization around raising these objections before they even come up, it's just, it completely changes the tone. It completely changes their view of you. It's like, oh, okay, well, this guy knows his faults and his strengths, you know, yeah. he's like, and he's being up and this person's hey. being forthright. Yeah. They're, yeah. You know, I'm glad he brought it up. Cause I was yeah. going to ask that question, but I'm glad he brought it up. So yeah. all of a sudden you, you increase your credibility, you increase your comfort level with people and they're like, God, you know, this person's not trying to hide anything. Yeah. It works on so better. many different levels. You got it. Yeah. That's the big no. tip, man. I'm telling you that, that, that is a money tip, but it's also one of those life lessons that you can use in your personal <laughs> life, you know? So, and I give yeah. you examples of that. So anyway, Check out my podcast, the Sales Influence Podcast. Get plenty of examples of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's the next thing I wanted to make sure we get to is for folks that weren't previously connected with you, following your content, where can they find you? Uh, how can they stay connected to, with you and, and continue to follow you? I would just look for the Sales Influence Podcast. You can find it on YouTube or on iTunes, you know, Podbean, all these other, you know, Stitcher, Google Play. But look there, start there, and look for the Sales Influence Podcast Series. They're like 10 minutes long, and I try to solve one problem in each podcast. And I know everybody listening to this has at least 10 minutes to give me. At least, yeah. So one of my favorite things to do is when I've got some CRM work to do, some reporting work to do, I'll queue up a little uh, SIP and uh, on YouTube, just that playlist to keep playing them. You can knock out some work and get in three or four you episodes. Go, you got the you hashtag know. down, SIP, Sales Influence yeah. Podcast, my man. That's Good job. It. That's Good job, it. Matt. Good job, James. <laughs> so look, uh, as we wrap up the podcast here, I need to make sure I ask you the same question I ask every person that comes on the show. Victor, what is your favorite place to eat lunch? You know, uh, recently, uh, the Crab Apple Tavern here mm-hmm. in Alpharetta, Georgia. And that is because 
I've been there like so many times already. They never disappoint. They got a wide variety, but they got this Philly steak and cheese sandwich. Oh, it's just, man. You know, it's good when you break out a knife and a fork just to Ooh, eat it. Like yeah. That good. So I'm all about a nice steak sandwich or a burger and a nice cold beer to go with that. I mean, the IPAs, man. Mm, mm. Hop, Sounds the like a, yeah, yeah, no, that's uh sounds like a awesome combination and, and, um, you got to love a place that that's got a wide variety and can remain consistent with the quality across. Yeah, all man. Of it. It's a, a hit, by the way, it's place. a gem, man. It's a hidden secret, man. I love it. Those are the best. Well, look, Victor, I have to just send a massive thank you over to you, man, because you, you did exactly what I knew you would do when, when you agreed to come on the show and you just provided the audience with such such an amazing amount of valuable insight, info. Thank you for sharing your story and, and uh, really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you for having me. And I just want the audience to know, man, that, that James Living, well, uh, he's walking the talk because you were persistent to try to get me on this thing. You were like, kind of like pinging me every time with the emails and everything. So you were persistent. So I was like, big, 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 you know, attaboy on that one. Man. That, that was cool. I said, I like this guy. He's persistent, which is what you have to be in sale. By the way, you were persistent but you were also very polite which is a great combination yeah it's 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 the professionally persistent thing you know i think um you know if if there's one thing that being in sales helps you do it's it's learn how to follow up on things that you want to see go through yeah. <laughs> right but, and, but, but what i love about it you didn't psych yourself out like a lot of people said okay you didn't return my email uh, maybe he doesn't want to be on the show or, you know what I mean? You, you didn't, you just kept plowing forward, man. And I respect that, man. Well, look, I think my mentality is, um, I, I, I'm just dumb when it comes to prospecting. Look, I don't know anything until you tell me. So <laughs> until somebody tells me to stop, I'll stop calling. I'll stop calling you right away if you tell me not to. I'll stop that's sending classic. you. Classic, by the way, that's classic. I don't know anything <laughs> until you tell me. Yeah, I love so that, man. Until you tell me to stop, I'm going to keep, <laughs> hey, you said let's go, let's go. So, no, it's great. You're and, awesome, man. You're um, awesome. Thank you, James, for having me. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I have to say, uh, really didn't expect for you to be as responsive as you were and, and with everything that I know you got going on. So, really appreciate you taking the time and coming on the show. And, and with that, I'm going to wrap up episode 50 of the lunch break podcast wrapping up season two of the lunch break podcast and i will see you guys next season speak to you soon